What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. We've come to the section in Exodus where the nation of Israel is journeying to Mount Sinai. And through this journey, God has many lessons to teach them. And these aren't just lessons from a book like we typically have at school or lessons from someone lecturing us. They're they're ultimately lessons coming from life experience. And, you know, it's been said that experience is the best teacher. And I think there's a lot of truth to that statement. For example, you know, you can tell a child repeatedly that, you know, a stove is hot or that fire is hot. And you can keep telling them that same information over and over again. But oftentimes it just doesn't sink in. They don't learn it until they experience it for themselves. And then all of a sudden it registers. I remember when Scarlett was young and, you know, she'd come into the kitchen and Jenny'd be cooking and we'd say, you know, the stove is hot. Don't touch it. And, you know, we always see her coming closer. She wanted to find out. Then one day, finally, she just stuck her hand on there and burned her hand. And, you know, from then on, she understood. She experienced it. And it was funny for the next several months, any guest that came into the house and walked in the kitchen, she'd point at the stove and be hot, hot, hot. You know, she, she experienced it and it now sunk in. She learned it and she never touched the stove again. Uh, and so, you know, that's something that we see with kids. It's something we see with adults where, you know, when we experience it personally, uh, oftentimes those lessons finally sink into our life. And, you know, for many of us, we are, you know, don't truly learn until we kind of been burned in a sense where it sinks in and we've experienced it for ourselves. And, you know, we've seen something with the nation of Israel where, you know, God wants them to know many things and yet he knows that they particularly learn best through experience. You know, you, you'll look at their you know journey, and as we continue on and through the Old Testament, you know, there's a lot of lessons that God proclaims through people, but it seems like the ones that they really grasp the best are the ones that they have to experience. Um, and you know, it seems that most of these experiences that the nation of Israel has are ones that are associated with some pain some difficulty, some hardship. You know, those are the things that kind of stick with them and help them to kind of resonate with what's going on. And, um, you know, we've seen this already on this journey. Their first stop on this journey was at the Red Sea. And and God gave them a great spiritual lesson there. God, you know, they, they felt like they're trapped. They felt like, you know, Lord, you brought us out here to die. What's going on? And, you know, they learned that God was all powerful, that God could deliver them. And uh, they learned to trust God. They learned to believe in him. And they responded to God's deliverance 
in worship. They, they sing this wonderful song. We spent a whole week, our whole uh, uh, teaching looking at them, uh, that song. But then God leads them from this place of deliverance from the Red Sea to a wilderness, the, the wilderness of Shur. And in this wilderness, you know, they go from the great, amazing deliverance through a big problem. There's no water. And they're searching and they're walking for three days with no water. And our bodies can only go three days without water. And so they are literally at a place where they're dying of thirst. And they're concerned for good reason. They're desperate for some water. And so in this second stop in the journey that's there in the wilderness of Shur, they come to know another valuable lesson. And that's the fact that there are still difficulties and trials that come after redemption, after deliverance. And they learn that, you know, there's no bed of roses that just come, oh, we've been delivered and now life's going to be perfect and easy and there's going to be no more problems. No, we've been delivered and guess what? We're going right into our first issue, right into our first problem. Well, God takes them from the wilderness of Shur to their next place. And that place is the place that we're going to look at tonight. And we're going to see a new lesson, actually several lessons, three in particular, that they're going to learn here in this new destination. As each stop, there's a new lesson, and they're going to learn a lesson about life. They're going to learn a lesson about themselves, and they're going to learn a lesson about God. And as we look at these things, my hope is that we can learn from their experience, that we can learn this lesson about life. And what they learn about themselves is something that we need to know about ourselves. And definitely what they learn about God is something that we need to know about God. But I hope that we don't have to be like them, where we have to experience it for ourselves. You know, it's great when we can look at people in the Bible. We can look at their failures. We can look at their successes. We can look and learn from their life so that we don't have to go through what they went through. But sometimes that's not the case for us. Sometimes we have to experience it ourselves. And if that's the case, I'm confident that God will lead us in some of these ways that he led the nation of Israel as well. And so let's read with what we're going to be looking at tonight. Exodus chapter 15, verses 23 through 27. It says this. Now when they came to Marah, They could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of your Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters." So they spent three days in the wilderness of Shur with their big problem. The problem is we don't have any water. And now they're at the place of literally star, uh, going to a place where they're in desperate need of water, dying of thirst. And then they come to a place where there's water. And I'm sure they're just rejoicing. Oh, finally, here's water. We're in this desert. We found this place. This is so great. And I'm sure many of them just ran to this water so excited. They're so thirsty. And they start taking gulps of this water only to find out something very unfortunate. It's bitter. It's undrinkable. That's why they named this place Mara. The word Mara means bitter. 
You know the story in the Old Testament, Naomi, she has a husband, she has sons, they die. She comes back to her land. He says, you know what? Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. It's bitter because I'm bitter at what has happened in my life. And that's what they named this place. We're calling this place bitter. Why? Because the water is bitter and it's horrible. You know, probably the, the thing, the only thing that might be worse than not being able to find water when you're dying of thirst is to find water that you can't drink. Because it brings you to this place of like, oh, great, we're going to get water. It's so wonderful. And then all of a sudden, you can't drink it. It's right there, but yet it doesn't do anything for you. I remember when I was back in high school, I went to this park and I was playing basketball all day in the heat of the summer. I didn't bring any water with me because I was stupid and I was dying of thirst. And there was a hose there on this dodgy looking building. I'm like, I don't care. This is going to have water. It's going to be good. So I go turn on that hose. I put my mouth at the end of it. It's like 120 degrees of water blasting out with leaves and bugs and this nasty rubber taste. And I didn't drink it. It was just so disgusting and I just had to, to suffer. But, you know, I went from like, oh, great, there's this hose. There's going to be water I'm going to drink to, man, this is disgusting. And now I don't have anything to drink and I'm super thirsty. And so what I thought would satisfy me didn't. And that's where the Israelites are at. They're thinking, oh, great, we're going to have our thirst satisfied finally. But yet, nope, the water is bitter. So now the Israelites are in this new place a place of bitterness. And God has some lessons that they need to learn in this place of bitterness. And we need to remember, don't forget, God is the one leading them. And I think this is so important on this journey that it's not just they're randomly going from place to place. They're being specifically led by God everywhere they go. And this is important because you're thinking, well, why go to this place? Well, God's the one who led them to this place. You remember when they first got to the, the Red Sea? <laughs> they thought, God, why in the world did you bring us here? God had a purpose. And every place that he takes them, there's a purpose. But they didn't know that purpose. And they're thinking, surely you made a mistake. I mean, there's nowhere to go. We're trapped. The, the army's behind us. The sea's in front of us. Lord, why did you bring us here? Well, he had a great purpose because he knew, I'm going to part this sea. I'm not only going to deliver you through the sea, but I'm going to destroy your enemies in the sea. A wonderful purpose he had. But you know what? Israel didn't see that purpose. And they don't see the purpose here in Mara right away. And I think that's the same with us so often is we have to come to this recognition that when God leads us to places, that he has a purpose for that place, a purpose in that place. And oftentimes, we don't see it. And we need to recognize that it's there. But you know, I think that we need to understand that typically God's purpose is not just for enjoyment and pleasure. You know, when we're leading ourselves, that's often what we're looking for. Where's the place with the most enjoyment and pleasure? Because that's where I want to be. That's where I want to go. That sounds real nice. I mean, that's kind of the, the vacation mindset. You know, where am I going to go where it's going to have the most enjoyment and pleasure? But you know, I think most of the time that God leads us, his purpose is more for learning and growth. And oftentimes when we are learning and growing, we're not always enjoying and having pleasure. Sometimes they go hand in hand. Sometimes learning and growth is a, it's a pleasurable experience, but oftentimes it's not. And we need to recognize that when God leads us, it's not just he's always going to lead us to the place where it's such an enjoyable place. It's such a beneficial place in the sense of being so pleasurable. 
But oftentimes God says, I'm going to bring you to a place because I have lessons to teach you. I have growth that I want to see happen in you. So God leads the Israelites to the Red Sea because he wanted to teach them an important lesson. He leads them to the wilderness of Shur because he wanted to teach them an important lesson. God knew there was no water in the wilderness of Shur. They're dying of thirst. He knows there's no water there. He didn't you know, show up and be like, oh, sorry, guys. I thought there was water here. I made a mistake. You know, let's go somewhere else. He was very uh, aware of where he was taking them and what wasn't there when they got there. He does all this for a purpose. He lets them go three days without new water. He has a purpose in it. He brings them to Mara, a place with water, but yet it's bitter. And I'm sure some of the Israelites are thinking, is this some kind of cruel joke? Lord, we have been without water for three days. Finally, you bring us to a place of water. We're thinking, thank you, Jesus. And then all of a sudden we drink it. It's undrinkable. It's bitter. You know, is this a cruel joke that you're playing on us? This isn't the first time that they probably thought that God was playing a cruel joke on them. When they got to the Red Sea, remember what they were saying? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Couldn't you have just killed us there? Why'd you bring us all the way out here to kill us? What a cruel joke to deliver us from Egypt only to kill us in the wilderness. That was their mindset. But God wasn't playing a cruel joke. God had a purpose, an amazing purpose that they didn't see. And I'm sure when they get tomorrow, they're probably thinking the same thing. What a cruel joke. We're thirsty and you bring us to a place where there's water that I can't drink. Thanks a lot, God. You know, the wilderness of Shur prepared the Israelites for what God was going to do because God wanted them in that place where they're dying of thirst. And He wants to bring them to a place where the water is bitter and undrinkable because He has some lessons He wants to teach them. So now that the Israelites are dying of thirst... And there's nothing that they can do. There's no way that they can quench their own thirst. There's no way that they can you know, satisfy the thirst that they have. They're in an impossible situation. they got to look to the Lord for the help. And so they cry out to Moses and they say, what shall we drink? You know, through this experience, I think the first lesson the Israelites would have learned is a lesson about life. And I think it's an important lesson to learn because in life, there are times that are sweet times that are great. They just had that time. That time there at the Red Sea. I mean, imagine being there in the Red Sea partying and walking through that and then your enemy coming after you and you're terrified and all of a sudden your enemy is wiped out and killed and now you're relieved. They had this deliverance. Those times of life are sweet. They're blessings. We love them. But that's not all of what life is made up of. There are also times of bitterness, times of difficulty, times of hardship. And that's where the Israelites find themselves right now. They went from this high to this low, from this great place of blessing to this great place of bitterness. They're dying of thirst, and the water that's in front of them is undrinkable. And I think this is an important lesson about life. Sometimes it's sweet, sometimes it's bitter. But you know what? Regardless of what it is, sweet or bitter, there's lessons to be learned. There's things that God wants to teach. There's ways in which God wants to grow us. I think if most of us are honest with ourselves, we would love life to be sweet all the time. I don't think any of us are like, you know what? Bring on the bitterness. 
You know, bring on those situations that are difficult and hard. I love those. No, we're typically like, Lord, keep it sweet. Keep it nice. I want to be in that place of deliverance all the time. I want to be in the place of blessing all the time. I'm happy for the rest of my life to never go through any trials, any difficulties, any suffering. I'd love it to be sweet all the time. You know, we kind of have the mindset that oftentimes little kids do. I would love just to eat ice cream and cake and candy and never have any vegetables or anything that's healthy for me. Just bring on the sweets, bring on the sugar, and let me just eat that for every single meal. Keep it sweet. Well, we know when a child does that, or if you allow a child to do that, it's not healthy for them physically. If they don't have anything that's going to nourish them and help them develop and grow physically and only eat junk, that's going to have physical consequences. But you know what? Spiritually, there's a similar truth for us. If all we have is just those sweet times, and there's never any bitter times, no hardships, no trials, no difficulties, there is something that we miss, something that we don't have spiritually to help us grow. The Bible reveals that in times of bitterness, there's just a specific way in which the Lord helps us to deepen our spiritual growth. Two of those passages are in Romans and James. Romans 5, 3 and 4 says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. James 1, 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So here are just a few verses that reveal that, you know what? Those bitter experiences, the trials, the tribulations, the hardships that come into our life, God can use those to produce great things in us. He can use those to bring a depth of spiritual growth that comes from them. They produce patience. They produce perseverance. They produce character. They produce hope. You know, so often, you know, in all honesty, we say, Lord, I want to be a man or a woman of godly character. I want to grow in that. And God says, really wonderful. But we think, that's just going to happen with the sweetness of life from now till I die. And the Lord says, no, no, you really want to grow in character? Great. I'm going to bring a trial into your life. I'm going to bring a tribulation because within that, I'm going to use that to help your character deepen, to help you grow. And then oftentimes, well, wait a second, Lord, what's going on? Why did you do this? Why is this in my life? Hey, you're the one who said you wanted to grow in character. And I want you to grow in character. But you know what? There's a depth of growth that only happens as we experience some of these bitter times, some of these difficult times that come into our life. You know, I think when everything is sweet, everything is easy, we have a tendency to kind of live for the here and now. When your life is great, it's so easy to get focused on your life. Oh, it's so wonderful and I enjoy it so much. It's kind of like heaven on earth. And, and so I'm not really focusing on heaven and eternity because I'm so just loving what's going on here and it's so sweet and there's no problems and, and I just kind of get a tendency to, to focus on the here and now and miss something far more valuable, something far more important, which is eternity. But you know, I find that when things are bitter, 
Things are hard. Things are difficult in this life. All of a sudden, we're like, come, Lord Jesus, quickly. Lord, I'm looking to eternity. I'm looking to heaven. I realize this life, thank goodness, is not my eternal home. This is not where I'm always going to be. This difficulty isn't always going to be here. And it gives us this eternal focus oftentimes, which often leads to living for eternity in this life. Not getting sidetracked with all the pleasures that it brings, but instead to live for something far more valuable. You know, I think it's interesting when you study church history. Typically, the most um, sold-out and effective believers were the ones that were persecuted. It's interesting that you see like the typical church of America where you know we have all these freedoms and we have all this stuff and there's real little persecution in comparison to what our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through and many other places in the world. Oftentimes, we're pretty lukewarm when everything's great. We're pretty lukewarm when we have all these different things. And it's crazy. You think, man, with all these freedoms, we should be the most effective church there is. But yet you look through church history and the most effective churches were typically the ones that were being persecuted the worst. And the most effective Christians were often the ones who were being persecuted the worst. I mean, probably the one that we're most familiar with is Paul. I mean, here's a guy that we would definitely say, look at how effective he was for Jesus, and yet he was the one who suffered so much persecution, went through so much hardship, but yet it kept him focused on eternity, focused on what was most important. He didn't get sidetracked with living for the here and now. Instead, he kept living for what's so much more important. So the first lesson the Israelites would have learned from this bitter experience is that a lesson about life, and a lesson about life that it's important that you and I understand as well. Life is sometimes bitter, sometimes sweet. And we shouldn't despise the bitter times because God uses those times to teach us and help us spiritually grow. Yeah, I'd love to be able to say to you, hey, you're not going to have any troubles, any hardships. This is not true. The Bible specifically says that's not true. You're going to have bitter experiences in life. And we need to be careful not to despise those, not to try to run from those, not to be like, Lord, why? But instead, Lord, what do you want to teach me? How do you want me to grow through this experience? Because he wants to do that in our life. And you know what? There are going to be times that God is the one leading us. Sometimes we think, well, all the bitter experiences are just consequences of sin, or all the hardships are just because we're in a sinful, fallen world. Actually, not all the time that's not true. God is the one leading the Israelites to this place, and sometimes God's the one leading us to these difficulties, leading us to these places of bitterness. Why? Because he says, I want you to grow. I'm bringing you here because I want to teach you some important lessons. You know, I think something very important to understand about God, which is very different probably than in our own mindset, is that God cares more about our spiritual growth than he does about our present physical comfort. Typically, we care more about our present physical comfort than we do our, physical, our spiritual growth. Lord, I'm happy to grow spiritually as long as I don't have to be physically uncomfortable in the process. And God's saying, no, no, no. I'm not as concerned with your physical comfort as I am about your spiritual growth. And if I have to bring you into something that's physically uncomfortable in order for you to spiritually grow, I'm willing to do that because I know what's more valuable. I know what's more important. And so God will sometimes lead us to the Mara, the place of bitterness, because he says, you know what? Yeah, it's going to be physically uncomfortable, 
But the spiritual benefits that I'm going to bring from that far outweigh the physical suffering that you might incur in it. You know, I'm convinced that there's certain spiritual growth that only happens in these times. I look back at my life and I can definitely say the times where I grew most spiritually always were connected with times of difficulty, with times of struggle, with times of hardship. You can grow in times of goodness, in times of sweetness, in times of blessing as well. But the greatest depth of growth for me personally in my spiritual life was dealing with struggles. God getting me through them and me learning about Him in a way that I never did before. Me seeing things in my own life that I never saw before that needed to change. It all was something that was helping me grow. And so we can look at those things like we saw in Romans and James. (laughs) Take joy? What are you talking about? No one takes joys in trials. Well, yeah, you can because of what they produce. They produce great things in our life. The second lesson that bitterness at Mara would have taught the Israelites is a lesson about themselves. So after God leads these thirsty people from a wilderness with no water to a place with water that's bitter and undrinkable, they respond to Moses, we're told, by complaining and saying, what shall we drink? You know, the Israelites, we've seen it already. We see it here. We're going to see it a lot more. They got a sin problem of complaining. And this problem comes out and is clearly seen when they face difficulty. You know, remember when Moses first came to the Israelites and he told them, hey, God sent me to deliver you. And they're so excited and they worship the Lord. And then Moses, for the first time, comes to Pharaoh, says, you know, God's given me a message. Let my people go. And Pharaoh responds with saying, yeah, right. I'm not letting anyone go. Actually, they're going to have to work the same amount of work and produce the same amount of bricks, but I'm not giving them straw anymore. They're going to have to go get their own straw. When the Israelites found out that their workload was going to be worse than it was previously, what'd they do? They complained. When God takes them to the Red Sea, He delivers them out of Egypt. They're at the Red Sea, but they're trapped. Pharaoh's army's there. They think it's all done. You brought us here to kill us. Once again, we're here. They complain. And now, God brings them to Marah, the place where the water's bitter, the water's undrinkable. And once again, this complaining comes out of the nation of Israel. I think something important to understand is we don't know what's really going on inside of us until we experience bitterness, until we are squeezed, until we are shaken. And it's in those times where we're squeezed from hardship, where we're shaken from difficulty, that all of a sudden what's inside of us comes out. You know, we're like a sponge. You don't know what's inside of a sponge until you squeeze it. And once you squeeze it, what's inside will come out. Hopefully, It's just soapy water from the last person who used it and rinsed it. But it might not be. Someone might have wiped up some nasty stuff on the counter and just left it in there and you squeeze and it's been there all night and now you get all that junk all over your hand. But you don't know what's in it until you squeeze it and then what's in it comes out. Or like a cup. You don't know what's inside that cup until it's shaken. And once that cup's shaken, whatever's in it, It's coming out. You might have coffee all over the place. You might have water all over the place. But you're going to find out what's in that cup once that cup is shaken. When we go through bitter times of life, what's inside of us is going to come out. 
we're going to see what's really in there. And sometimes we're pleasantly surprised with our good, godly responses, but probably more times than not, we see things in our life that we're not happy with. We see things in our life that are sinful. We see responses, we see words, we see actions that come from us in those squeeze and shaken times that bring us to a realization of there's some junk and some sin going on in our life. But you know what? Oftentimes we're unaware. You know, I know there have been many times in my life where it's like, I didn't even know that was there until I was squeezed. I didn't know that was there until life shook me up from some difficult circumstance and all of a sudden that revealed issues in me that need to be dealt with. Issues I thought, hey, I'm doing great here. And then God says, actually, let me show you what's really going on. Let me help you see what's really inside. And that's important for us because we're not going to deal with those things if we don't know they exist. We're not going to properly try to change when we're not aware that that's inside of us. I think oftentimes we, we typically think we're doing much better spiritually than we are, but God knows exactly what we're like. He knows what's going on in our heart. He knows what's really going on inside. And I think when we get to that kind of prideful place of I'm really excelling here, I'm doing so well, that God has a way of just bringing this you know, trial, this difficult, this bitterness to our life to say, you know, let's bring a little recognition of what's really going on, a little humility for you to see, you know what, actually you're not where you think you are. I'd love for you to be there, but you need to see what's going on so that you can deal with those things in the right way. And when God reveals that to us, he also says, hey, let, let me be the one to come help. Let me be the one to change you. Look to me. I'm revealing this because I want to change you. I don't just revealing this to shame you and show, hey, look at how horrible you are. No, I want you to see this because I want to help you become more like me. And until this is ridden of your life, you're not going to change the way I want you to. You know, typically, we have two responses to when we see these things. We can just be like, well, that's just me. I hear so many people just say that, you know, something comes out that's prideful or, you know, you see anger or selfishness or lust or whatever it is that, that comes out because you've been squeezed and shaken. And oftentimes the response is, well, that's just me, which means I'm not doing anything to change it. That's just take it or leave it. That's just who I am. Well, in your sinful flesh, yes, that is who you are. And God wants to change that. He doesn't want us to just use that as an excuse to say, well, that's who I am and I'm not going to do anything about it. That's a horrible response and a horrible uh, way to look at that. What he wants us to say is, wow, we see that and we're appalled. We see that and we're like, I don't want that. I don't want to be like that. Lord, thank you for helping me see that because I want to change. The second lesson the Israelites would have learned from this bitter experience at Mara is this lesson about themselves. And I think it's a lesson that we need to learn for ourselves as well. Bitter experiences help reveal to us the sin that is inside of us so that we can recognize those sins and deal with them properly. You know, when we go through difficult times, we can see some pretty ugly stuff come out of our lives. When I was pastoring in Scotland, I had, which I would say still in all my pastoral experience, was the most difficult person I have ever had to deal with. This lady, you know, was pretty horrible. 
And she had lots of issues, and Jenny and I both tried to minister to her in many different ways. And, you know, she shared lies starting with Jenny, then with me, and then it escalated even more. She actually found out um, some churches that supported us and then sent them emails that were saying all these things that weren't true to try to get them to stop supporting us. And she was just a pretty, you know, difficult, horrible person. Uh, and then she finally left the church. And, you know, for months after that, you know, I was very bitter towards this lady, angry towards this lady. I wasn't forgiving this lady. And I'm just like, Lord, why did you bring her into our church? You know, she was just so destructive. And ultimately, one of the things that I saw is Lord was like, I want you to see things right now that are in you. Look at your bitterness. Look at your anger. Look at your unforgiveness. These are things that you need to work on. These are things that I want to rid you of. And this woman was what it took for you to see, hey, you think you're doing so great? Well, what happens when someone's a real jerk to you? When someone lies about you? When someone treats you like that? Then where are you at? And I thought, man, I'm doing really well with people. And then God said, yeah, really well with people who are pretty nice to you. How about people who aren't? And then I saw some areas in my life that definitely needed to change. So when we go through these experiences, we can really learn from them because they're like a mirror. God says, here you go. Take a look. Not so, not so nice, is it? Why don't we do something to change that? And hopefully we can. The third lesson that the bitterness of Mara is going to teach the Israelites is a lesson about God. So after they complain to Moses and they say, what shall we do? Moses responds with the proper response. He prays, cries out to the Lord. And the Lord does something which I'm sure is unexpected which probably wasn't something that Moses was expecting, nor the Israelites. God says, ultimately, Moses, I want you to throw a tree into the water. So when Moses throws this tree into the water, the water that was bitter becomes sweet, and it becomes drinkable. So now the Israelites, with this great thirst, can drink. They can be satisfied. But I think it's interesting. Before the Lord allowed them to have a drink, he brought them to a place where they had to recognize there is nothing that they could do to satisfy their own thirst. There's nothing that they could do to ultimately get what they needed. They had to have God do something miraculous for them. And it was at that moment when they come and recognize only God can do this, boom, there he is to do this miracle, making the bitter water sweet. But you know, God could have done this in so many different ways. I mean, we just saw him tell Moses, you know, lift up your staff. The staff's been such a, an important thing with the plagues, an important thing with the Red Sea. You know, he could have just lifted the staff and the water could have just turned from bitter to sweet. God could have just done it. He didn't need anything. He could have just miraculously just changed it. But yet, he just says, Moses, take this tree and throw it in there. It seems kind of weird, unexpected. Why would he choose to do that? But you know what? As I mentioned, all the places that God is leading the Israelites, he's leading them for a purpose. It's not random. He's not just showing up and like, oh, wow, there's no water here. Okay, let's try to deal with that. Oh, wow, this water is bitter. No, he knows where he's leading them. It's purposeful. God has a purpose in everything that he does. He has a purpose in this as well, asking the Moses to throw a tree in the water. You know, I think it's interesting as we've seen there's really an ultimate purpose in a lot of what God does. 
And that ultimate purpose is to point the Israelites to something greater than what's happening presently. Point them ultimately to Jesus Christ. We saw that very vividly with the Passover lamb and specifically what they had to do of you know, taking it and then killing it and then putting its blood over the doorposts and lintel. It wasn't just, hey, I want you to remember how I delivered you from Egypt. No, I want to point you to something greater that I'm going to do in the future, the sacrifice of Jesus, the ultimate lamb whose blood is going to take away our sin. You know, another good example of this is in the book of Numbers. I think it's a good example, especially with what we see tonight, because the complainers, they're complaining again. And they're out in the wilderness and you know they've been complaining against God and so God now brings judgment upon them. Here, He just sweetens the water. At this time, God says, you know what, I'm going to put serpents in the camp. You want to complain against me? Fine. There's going to be a consequence to your sin. And the serpents come in and they start biting people. And they're poisonous and people are dying. And people are like, whoa, wow, Moses, pray. You know, we, we need to do something here. Let's see what happens. Numbers chapter 21, verses 7 through 9. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he left. So after God brings judgment, the nation of Israel is like, whoa, okay, we realize our sin. We need to repent. We've complained against the Lord. We've spoken against the Lord. <laughs> Moses, pray on our behalf. This is more than we can bear. And God does something unexpected. All right, Moses, I want you to get a pole and I want you to put this bronze serpent on it. And anyone who's been bitten by a snake, when they come and they look up at this pole with this serpent on it, which probably was in the shape of a cross, they're going to be healed. They're not going to die from this snake bite. Well, it seems odd. Why would God choose that of all the things? I mean, he could have just said, all right, thank you for repenting. None of you are going to die. John chapter 3. Jesus tells us what that purpose was. Verse 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have ever eternal life. Jesus is saying, hey, just like Moses lifted up that serpent, and when the people looked upon Him, that serpent, those who were bitten, those who were going to die because of that snake bite, they were healed. And that's ultimately something that was pointing to something greater, that Jesus was going to be lifted up on a cross. And that those who put their faith in Him, trust in Him, the sin that was bringing them death was going to be forgiven. They were going to have a spiritual healing. You see, God chose to do something very unexpected to take care of the serpent problem. And here He does something unexpected to take care of the bitterness in that water problem. Throw a tree in there, Moses. What? Yeah, throw a tree in there. That's going to take care of this issue. And I think this is another example of God doing something that didn't maybe make much sense at the time, but was pointing them to something greater in the future. Pointing them to Jesus. Many people, commentators, believe that this tree is a symbol 
or a picture of the cross for us as believers, and that God specifically chose a tree to point to the cross. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The cross was made out of a tree, out of wood. It was a tree that was used to make these bitter waters sweet. What a great picture for us of what Jesus and the cross does for the bitterness that sin brings to our life, the bitter circumstances of life that are ultimately brought on because of sin typically in the world. But Jesus' sacrifice for our sin brings sweetness. It deals with that sin. And even when we suffer because of the sin of the world, yet there's a sweetness that comes because of who Christ is and the benefit that we have with the power of the spirits and all the fact that we've been given these great blessings from Him. Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy, and My burden is light. You know, what a wonderful invitation When you're going through difficult times, when you're burdened because of the bitterness of life, Jesus says, come to me. I want to give you rest. I want you to take my yoke, which is easy and light, and I'll take yours, which is heavy and hard. And you can leave finding rest for your souls. What a great invitation and a wonderful truth of what Christ does. So the first lessons the Israelites would have learned about God is they're in desperate need of God. And He's the only one that can make their bitter experiences sweet. But God didn't just have a lesson for the Israelites here at Marah. He also had a test. In verse 25, we're told, and there God tested them. And in verse 26, we're told what that test is. Notice what it tells us. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments and keep all of His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. God's test is a challenge. I want you to listen to me, and I want you to obey what I command you. And for those who listen and those who obey, you pass the test. And there are some great benefits to that. And for those who don't listen and disobey, you fail the test. And there are consequences to that. But God gives a great incentive. Incentive to avoid the consequence and incentive to enjoy the blessing. He says, if you do these things, I'll put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now think of what they just saw. These ten plagues just hit the Egyptians, and I'm sure they're thinking, I want nothing to do with any of that. I don't ever want to experience any of those things. I don't want the wrath of God ever on me. But wow, to have the opposite, to have His healing? It's interesting here, we see the Lord gives a new name that we haven't seen yet in the Bible. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Another thing that they can refer to the Lord as. A wonderful title for God and a great thing for us to remember. He's the God 
who heals. And I think this is a great lesson for the Israelites to understand, a great lesson for them to learn that that's who God is. He's the one who's capable of that in their life. He's the one who can bring not only spiritual healing, but physical healing as well. The third lesson the Israelites would have learned about God is in verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. So after this great lesson at Marah, this wonderful test that they had, God takes them from Marah, the place of bitterness, which has now been made sweet, and He leads them to Elam. And we're told in Elam, there's 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. And they camp there by the water. Notice the progression here. First, God leads to the wilderness of Shur. There, there's no water. Then to Mara, where the water's there, but it's bitter and undrinkable. And now to Elam. Elam has 12 wells of water, 70 palm trees. Interesting. How many tribes are there? 12 tribes. Each one of them would have had their own well that they could have had, this abundance of water. They went from no water to bitter water to now this abundance of water. But we're also 70 palm trees. Now, palm trees aren't the greatest trees if you want shade, but they do actually produce fruits. And different palm trees produce different types of fruits. And so that would have been another blessing for the Israelites that they could have fruit to eat. So it's a place of blessing, of fruitfulness, of refreshing. And I think this is important to remember that after this time of testing, after this time of difficulty, God brought a time of refreshment. He knew exactly what they needed. He knew when to test them. He knew when to rest them. And I think this is something that we need to realize. And this is a pattern that we so often see. That first we get hit with the bitterness. First we get hit with those difficulties, those trials, those, those hard times. But God knows what we can handle. God knows what we can bear. God knows what we need. And oftentimes after that, he says, all right, I'm moving you on now. I know that you need a time of rest. I know I need to take you from Mara to Elam. I know you need to go from this place of bitterness to this place of abundance to this place where you can just you know, soak in and just be fed well and get all the nourishment you need and relax. And God's so good at understanding what we can handle and what we can't handle and giving us what we need. God leads us to Mara's. We don't like that oftentimes, but He also leads us to Elam's. These places that are such a fruitful, refreshing experience. But you know, I think that's kind of the pattern. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes God brings the, 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 the Elam first and we're like, oh, this is so great. And then we go into some Mara and we're like, oh, I want to go back to Elam. But you know, we saw that with Joseph. Joseph starts with things good in his life, a little bit. But then all of a sudden, boom, the real trials come, the bitterness comes, he's sold into slavery, all these bad things happen. But then the ultimate good, the ultimate blessing comes after those things. We see that with Moses' life. We see that with Paul, with Peter. So often this is a pattern that the Lord uses. J. Vernon McGee wrote this, Beyond every Mara, there's an Elam. Beyond every cloud, there's the sun. Beyond every shadow, there's the lights. Beyond every trial, there is triumph. And beyond every storm, there's a rainbow. 
I think it's just important to remember that balance because so often we get stuck in that place of bitterness and we're just so focused on the trial and we forget that, you know what? This is temporary. We're not going to be in this forever. You know, God knows what we can handle. and He's going to bring us through this trial. He's going to bring us through this storm. He's going to bring us through this difficulty. And, you know, He knows when we need that place of fruitfulness, that place of rest. He knows when to take us to Elam's and He knows when we can handle the Mara's. And we just need to trust Him that if we're in Amara, He's got a lesson for us to learn. He's got something He wants to teach us and that He'll keep us there only as long as we can handle it. He knows when to move us. He knows when we can't deal with it anymore. The third lesson the Israelites would have learned about God is God knows what they can handle and He brings them times of testing and refreshing to help them grow. So these three things that they hopefully would have gained in understanding better about God, these lessons about Him, these are great for us to know as well. When we're in desperate, we are in desperate need of God, and He's the only one that can make our bitter experiences sweet. He's our healer, and He brings us times of testing and refreshing to help us grow. So God leads the Israelites to Mara really to teach them some valuable lessons. Lessons on life, lessons about themselves, lessons about Him. And hopefully, as we study passages like this and other passages about individuals or groups of people, that we can learn these lessons through studying the Word. (laughs) Because if not, then probably God is going to lead us to our own Mara. If we need to learn through experience, then I think God will bring that experience to us because He wants us to learn these lessons. He wants us to spiritually grow. He truly is, I believe, more concerned about our spiritual growth than our present physical comfort. And so if we can't learn from other people and from what they went through and apply it, then God will say, okay, you guys need your own Mara. You need your own place of trial because I got lessons for you to learn. And I think ultimately there's only so much that we're going to take from other people's experiences. Hopefully we can take a lot, but I think there is a growth and a depth that comes through our own trial experiences. And recognize, you know what? We can take joy. We're not joyful that we're in it, but we can be joyful in what God wants to teach us, how God wants to change us, how He wants to grow us. We can be joyful that we can grow in perseverance and character and hope, that we can be more like Jesus as we go through it than we were before we entered it. And so those are things that we should hopefully have maybe a little different perspective when God leads us to a place like Mara. And instead of just complaining, looking to what the Lord wants to teach and how He wants to change.